lovely human. My name is Anna Josette Herber and you are listening to the Expanding Purpose podcast. This is a show I created to give me an excuse to interview the incredible purpose-driven entrepreneurs and business owners in my personal network. The reason I'm doing this is because I made a decision last year to only work with individuals and businesses who are benefiting the human race that exists around them in some way. Radical, I know, but it's led me on a journey to know some of these people better and to become fascinated by what keeps us going. I know that I struggle sometimes to maintain a positive outlook and a belief in a happy, healthy future for humanity. But the only thing that enables me to keep expanding myself and working on myself and doing my best to contribute is to believe that progress is possible. And to do that, I have to look at the people who share this belief are creating products, businesses and services that help others and serve others. When you tap into that purpose inside of yourself that's primed and ready and all it wants to do is help people around you, it unlocks these massive reserves of energy and it's a lot easier to look after yourself and to grow your business or to make choices that feel daring because you're being pulled forward by this new energy source and by this driving, exciting purpose. This is why I started this podcast. Thank you so much for supporting this journey. It means so much to hear your feedback and to hear what you're liking about the show so far. I had a great time interviewing Jonathan Higgs for the CBD Bristol episode and some of you who are even into CBD expressed that you found it interesting and that you enjoyed learning about this medicine and what it means for society in the UK and beyond. This week I have got an incredible interview with a lifelong friend of my mother's. Her name is Sharon Long. Uh, she is a pioneering therapist and counsellor offering some incredible therapies. We talked a lot in this podcast about the experience of therapy, what holds people back from getting help and also we talked a lot about the social conditioning that creates the reasons that we need therapy in the first place. I just want to be really clear that in this episode we talk about the difficulties of speaking to your friends and family at one point in comparison to getting help from a professional. But these times are really hard and a lot of us are really struggling. So I just want to make it really clear that reaching out to anyone at all is always the best thing to do if you are struggling. And I encourage you and support you to do that if that's what you need. We all need it right now. I know I've had to reach out to people recently. So sending all the strength and support your way. Give yourself what you need, people. And with that, I'm just going to launch into this interview with Sharon. It's been an incredible experience for me to have this conversation with such a determined woman who gives to herself as much as she gives to others. To me, that's a way forward. If you want to get in touch with me about this podcast, you can email me at expandingpurposepodcast at gmail.com. Hello, everybody listening at home or wherever you might be. If you're doing the dishes, good on you. I'm here with Sharon Long. She is an incredible therapist and counsellor and practitioner of many up-and-coming new types of psychological treatment that I have known for pretty much my whole life. Sharon's always been a really positive example of using your mind um, in a way that is beneficial for your life and your goals to me. And Sharon, you've been an incredible role model throughout my life. So I'm really grateful to have you on my little podcast today. Oh, thanks for having me and thanks for the compliment. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, when you set up your business as a practicing counsellor, you know, I did a little mini fist pump in the air because to me it really makes sense that <clears throat> – 
you're providing the skills that you have so naturally at supporting people, like as you have done as a foster carer and as a mum to three boys and general source of emotional support for many, many people. To see you doing that in like a business capacity, it gave me a lot of joy. And as someone who has had therapy quite a bit in my 20s, I think meeting people who are very real and authentic and speak their mind in their capacity as a therapist really inspires me because I feel like the connection that you can have between therapist and participant can be so, it's transformative potentially. So how has it been for you over the last like few years building this business and learning how to provide that for people professionally? So I think um, the last few years in particular have gone um, quite quickly. They've been, there's been like a rocket behind them. I first qualified in 2003 mm-hmm. um, as a person-centred therapist, counsellor, and I just I, I was just left kind of flat, I think, is the word. Like I was like, well, is this, is this really counselling? Is this really it? And that's no disrespect to any therapist or counsellor that uses um, person-centred as a standalone therapy. But for me, I've been through so much trauma in my life. I felt personally that that there needed to be more behind it, something else to mix with it, something else to do with it to help a person go from where they are um, through a a transformative journey to, to get them to meet who they genuinely are, not who they've been told they are, and this person personality really that they're living by, I decided then to start learning more and more. In the capacity of a foster carer, I just got incredibly busy um, doing that, and I looked after older teenagers that bring their own challenges, shall we say. <laughs> so a lot of my time while I was studying um, and I was working with the, the teenagers I started to then put into practice everything I was learning um, as a therapist and also what I'd learned from my own life. Um, So by the time I got to actually setting this up as a business, as a standalone business, I'd learned that many different modalities. It was like it was like rocket fuel behind me. I had all of these these different different qualifications and so many of them I was able to mix everything together and offer um, the clients that were coming to me. Um, such, such a wide variety of different modalities so it's been quite the journey. <laughs> I found a really interesting parallel just then between what you're saying about helping people discover their real personality through healing and all these different modalities and then as a therapist I feel like you have to discover your own personality and like how you want how, what, how you're able to provide help in the ways that you're naturally drawn to and it's really unique, isn't it? It's like every therapist is different because every person is different. And even though, you know, there's there's a, an incredible range of different therapies out there, some that might people might be familiar with, like CBT that you offer, and also some that people might not be familiar with, like EMDR or Havening. I really like how you put that, as in they're all like a different tool that an individual can use to heal in different ways, as in, because oh yeah, that's what I always struggled with traditional talking therapy when I first experienced it is that I, t- I couldn't see a way forward within it, you know, because I was like, okay, I know, I know I'm messed up, but how do I become not messed up? <laughs> and then, yeah, like, like finding therapy that's been more going through a process, you know, and that, that where you're, you're guided to feel the changes in how you feel about a traumatic memory in a session. So you come out of it having this afterwards feeling of like, oh, wow, maybe I could be different now. What's your favourite therapy that you offer for giving people that kind of moment? So um, the good question, actually, because it was like when I was talking about person-centred and I felt quite flat, I always felt like there's got to be something else. So I went from person-centred to CBT and I was like, oh, this is fab. And then it was like, no, it's got to be something else. (laughs) So then I went into hypnotherapy and I I became qualified in that. And I was like, oh, this is great. So then I could could put all three together. And then I was like, ah. So then I went into autogenic training and I thought, well, I can teach people actually how to do that themselves as well as 
self-hypnosis and I can give them the tools from CBT and oh this is fab and but again I was like there's got to be something out there so my my um, original company is, is Talking Heads and I switched when I found this particular modality and I, I changed I still have Talking Heads but I've changed the name to Insta Therapy because I went from the autogenic to the hidden therapy to rewind therapy, which is amazing. I mean, you can you can depotentiate people's traumas literally in one session. People's phobias can be gone in one session and they don't return. So that was like, oh my gosh, I've done it. I've found the holy grail. And then I couldn't, I I really could have settled with that, except I went to see Paul McKenna um, one evening and I watched him do havening. And oh my God, I was just like, that's it, that's it. It was literally in seven minutes, a person's trauma was depotentiated. Like I, I watched him do this on stage to a random person in the audience and it was unbelievable. So I decided, that's it, I need to go and find out how to do that. So I had a chat with him at the end and he said, well, you can be trained here in the UK by this person and this person. He had all of his trainers there. Um, and I was like, but yeah, absolutely, I'm in, I'm in. And I went home and I did some research and I found actually that there's two doctors, um, Dr. Ronald and Stephen Rood and their, their brothers. They created Havening 15, 20 years in the making. They've done all of the research and they, they created and developed the technique. And it just so happened later in the year, that year, um, that they were doing training themselves in the US. So I was like, I'm off. <laughs> and that's when you I'm booked going. your flight. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I did. I did. And I went over to um, New York for a few days and I did a few days of really intensive training with them and became qualified. So I did, I did that. And then I did uh, about a year of hands-on here to get the qualification. Yeah. The rest is history. It's unbelievable. What an unbelievable therapy. How would you describe Havening? So the only time that your your body, your emotional and physical body goes into a state of healing and pure wellness is when you're in deep sleep. And you and for that to happen, you need to go into a slow wave sleep. So there's lots of different levels, which we won't go into because that's a whole podcast by itself. But you need to go into this slow wave sleep, okay? And when that happens, your body releases delta waves and it, that's the healing process. So with all of this research that the Rudin did, um, they realized that actually you can you can create delta waves in your body by havening touch, which is stroking your arms, the way that you would pacify a baby if a baby is crying. So if you stroke your arms very gently and you stroke your hands as if you're washing them, which is great now because everyone's washing their hands. <laughs> so everyone's inadvertently giving themselves havening touch about 300 times a day. So you stroke your hands, you stroke your arms, you keep doing that, and you stroke your face. They're the three major parts of your body that release the delta waves. And then that then... If you're thinking of the trauma and then there's other aspects to it, you move your eyes back and um, to side to side, like the EMDR, yeah. lots of visualizations, and you go through certain steps. But basically what that does is depotentiate the trauma from your amygdala, and your amygdala is where the, the traumatic encoding took place in the first place. So, yeah, it's absolutely amazing. Wow. I love hearing about how these therapies actually work because – it's becoming clearer and clearer to me that the human mind is just completely programmable and that we grow up in a world where we experience loss and trauma and painful events, but we're not coached growing up on how to not have those memories just get stored in this amygdala, right? Like right at the base of our brain. And then everything we do in this human life is like living from this place of having a kind of fragmented memory store. And we think that that's just how we are. And then we blame ourselves yeah. for being that way. And, you know, all the things that we can't achieve and get round to and make time for, we blame ourselves for all of that. So we're just like adding to the problem when in reality it's this thing that got put in you by this memory that you didn't have the tools to deal with at the time. And this is what I want people to really 
understand about therapy is that it's a chance to go back and revisit that source of the pain and reprogram it. And that's how it works. Because I think when I was going through therapy, I was like, how is this going to work? I don't know. I couldn't see the path for development and the path for change. Whereas now when I interact with the therapist, it's very quick, you know, because I'm like, right, this is the process. And I know that I've still got memories and things that I would like to reprogram because they're still showing up in my creative endeavors or my relationships or how I feel about money or whatever it is. And it's just such an opportunity, isn't it? And I think that we're seeing this real mental health revolution where, you know, there's more therapists, more coaches, people are talking about getting therapy more. We're able to talk about it. I mean, I think a few years ago when I was really going through depression about 2014, people were just posting on Facebook about their depression and their anxiety you know, and it was like, I remember at the time, it just felt like this cascade of people sharing their stories for what felt like the first time that people could be really vulnerable about it. Um, do you think you've seen an increase of people open to therapy? Yeah, absolutely. Especially now. I mean, and it is it is um, being talked about a lot more, thankfully. There is still some stigma out there, unfortunately, but it is it is becoming more and more open. But I, at the minute, I'm inundated, like absolutely inundated. And I, I don't advertise. Like one of my things, like when you say, you know, it, it comes into your life, all of this unprocessed trauma and adverse effects that you, you may have suffered as a child or at any other point, it comes up for me with tech. I, I mean, I hate tech. I cannot explain what happens to me with, with tech. So... It's almost for me, and this is how I I explain it to my clients as well, um, and it's happening all over now because of the worries. I mean, we are literally under attack, and, and we're under attack by something we can't see, so it makes it worse. The way that I explain it is when when this happens in in your your body and you're thinking about something, you start thinking about something, you send a message, an emotional message of fear to your brain. Now, your brain can't see. So it doesn't know if it's in perceived danger or real danger. So for the way I explain it is like it's going to send out the guard dogs. It's going to do everything it possibly can to keep you safe. So if that's keeping you safe from going into a previous memory that frightens you, or it's keeping you safe from an actual danger, it will send out the guard dogs. It will keep doing this until you learn that you can say, um, I've just checked it out. I'm looking with my eyes, I'm checking it out, and there's no actual danger. And that's how I've managed to get through my tech demons. I can feel it coming up, and I, and I know the dogs are getting sent out to save me. I know my, my pack of Rottweilers are going to come out any minute, and they're going to save me, and they're going to stop me doing the tech task. But that's not what I should be doing. I should be saying to my brain, this is just a task, and I can do this. So I am going to do this. And then every time I do that, it then makes my brain understand that the world did not implode and I have the capacity to do more than it is allowing me to do. Nobody died. We are okay. I'm just using a computer. <laughs> do you see what I'm saying? And it's, uh, but it's what's available when you go beyond your comfort zone. Because when you're living with the impact of trauma and feeling very negative about yourself and living with depression and anxiety and panic attacks, like all the ways that people feel limited and afraid and struggling, then it keeps your comfort zone quite awkward, doesn't it? Like there's certain things that you can't do, certain social occasions that just make you feel incredibly anxious or your relationship with food or your exercise or the way you can express yourself creatively. And I know yeah. all of those things have shown up in my life at one point or another. And I know there's so many more ways that people feel limited because how they feel about themselves is painful. Yeah, absolutely. But that's, that's your brain's job. That's your brain working absolutely perfectly. It's doing exactly what it's supposed to do. It's only got three jobs. It's got like 100 billion cells and trillions and trillions of neurons. And it's like the most complex computer in the world, like on the planet. But it's yeah. only got three jobs. And the first one is to is for survival. 
to keep to keep it alive. The second one is to avoid pain at all costs. And the third one is to conserve energy so we can do job number one and two. So if it can keep you in your comfort zone, which is incredibly uncomfortable, right, it will then, because you keep repeating the pattern, convince you, well, you're convincing it, that there is comfort in the discomfort. I'm okay here. That amazing invitation I just got from my friend to go to that amazing party equals fear. Mm. Send out the dogs, keep me safe, and I'll convince myself it's better to stay at home in my bed than go to the amazing party with those amazing people and have an amazing time. Does that make sense? Absolutely. It really does. And um, I was thinking when you were talking about the main three main functions of the brain, I always relate, you know, this like super ego voice that's always telling you not to do things or the inner critic. But it's it's trying to keep you safe because we were a tribal species and you know, so it's trying to keep you like in the middle of the tribe, like not doing anything too daring or out there because historically I guess we have genetic memory of being expelled and like left to wander the wilderness if you're being too annoying for the tribe but these Mm -hmm. days you know our social structure is in this like massive state of change and you know we've gone from being like city dwellers and having this kind of civilization and now we've got the internet connecting us and there's this whole new way of showing up online and connecting with potential tribe members via the internet it also brings up similar fears and limitations. And yeah. yeah, we can explore those and play with those, but we have to like ourselves enough to do it, right? Absolutely. But you're absolutely right, because not only have you got, on, on one hand, you have this, this huge world open to you where you can connect with people, but you also have rejection. I mean, how many times do you hear of children, you know, they can't go to school, they can't do this, they can't do that, because... They've already been bullied before they even got there because of all the things that are on Facebook. So not only now do you have the primal fear, which is of rejection, you'll be cast out, you'll get eaten by the saber-toothed tiger. You've also got the, the, the what should be a community, that fear of rejection. So it's the same because we still have the same lizard brain. That's our amygdala, it's our lizard brain. It hasn't evolved. It, it doesn't know that we can just shut our computer. It doesn't know we can block people on Facebook. We have to tell it. But we're so programmed to be kind and courteous and nice and do everything for everybody else before we do anything for ourselves that we don't block people. What will people think of me if I block them? People are gonna people are gonna send uh, spread rumors around the school if I block them. Mum, I can't possibly block her. She's the most popular girl in school. And that fear of rejection is the same primal fear of rejection that your amygdala has always had. Yeah, I think one of the biggest problems we face is that it's revolutionary to like yourself first and to do things for you first. Absolutely. It's a problem because you live inside your own body with your own brain 100% of the time, 24 hours a day for your whole life. Yet, you know, we're so conditioned to make decisions and choices to benefit people around us or people we might even never meet people or like the ways that we think that someone might react to a situation instead of just like deciding no this is what I need and I like me so I'm going to do this thing for me and I think that like 80% of my mental health struggle boiled down to that absolutely and when when you start to learn who you actually are and that you can say no if you say no, your world is not going to implode and the person you're saying no to will still like you or will still love you. And in fact, the ripple effect is that they will probably have more respect for you when you start to say no and you start to put boundaries in. And then that base that you're operating from becomes a more secure base. And then the interactions you're having with people force them to react to you differently. I love boundaries. They have and no I, feel, I feel like when you practice boundaries and when I first started setting boundaries I would like panic and like just have to squeeze it out but then eventually you become a bit more graceful and you can say it really kindly in a way that doesn't make people feel rubbed up or anything and then eventually people start learning from you how to have better boundaries for themselves and they always know where you stand on something because you're honest about how you feel 
So do people do feel more comfortable around you? And it helps them. They start to, to reflect on who they are and the way that they've been behaving. Because they'll start looking at you and go, well, how come everything's changing in her world? How come she's getting what she wants? Like, why am I still bending over backwards for everybody? Why am I still spreading myself so thinly? What's she doing different that's changed her world? Can I do the same? I think something important that I think about a lot as well is that, you know, even as you start to heal, make decisions for yourself primarily, like it's still hard and you still feel doubt and fear and all the normal human emotions because what was holding me back at one point was thinking like why am I still feeling self-doubt that must mean I'm not finished yet I'm not done yet and obviously I've realized now that you're never done and that you always keep healing and supporting yourself because that's just what we've got to do you know we're in the ring we're in the arena while we're alive it's got to like keep your game face on and keep keep hustling <laughs> yeah <laughs> but um, like yeah but like you know, I've stopped putting people on a pedestal so much and just thinking like, oh that person's smashing it they must never feel fear and self-doubt they must never like wear an unglamorous outfit and all it's all these like, things that you make up in your head yeah absolutely absolutely I like that being in the arena and, and I mean this is it this this is it and we do we do keep learning and if you if you think you've learned it all then you've learned nothing yeah it's really refreshing to realize to like be okay with knowing how much you don't know and then be curious about that um, I think that like having a learner's attitude to life is so important. It's been it's been really important for me to pick up hobbies that I suck at at first because when I was younger, I'd feel so insecure about just trying something and failing in front of people. You know, you can like yourself at a base level enough to be like, I am okay with falling over on roller skates in front of people and then laughing at me. Then it then that opens up. You might be able to roller skate one day. Or you might just have fun learning. But when we're so vulnerable and we feel so scrutinized and we don't even, you know, like even witnessing our own discomfort makes us hate ourselves even more, then that's, it's like a trapped place to be, isn't it? But I know that lots of human beings are stuck in this place because that is the prevailing way they've been taught to mature by society. I heard this thing the other day, Sharon, um, in a, or I read it in a book that most of the planet is stuck in a kind of like adolescent stage of development you know we're not self-actualizing enough but I'm hoping that like with this mental health conversation that we're going to see you know more people who really have that like self-loving strength stepping up as leaders because more of those people will be here yeah absolutely and when you look at you look at the kind of adolescent stage they're in that that kind of transition where they're learning to give, but then they run back to the taker. Because when you look at a child, a child just takes, 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 takes. Because by definition, that's what little children do. But as as a child grows into an adolescent, they then learn, actually, there's there's more to just taking. I need to, it needs to be reciprocal. But then when they start to give and then they get that rejection because, you know, again, you might you might be out with somebody they might fall over and then that laugh turns into you don't like me anymore and it's a rejection and then and then they go back they then go back to being the taker and they they go back into the the bubble I suppose or their shell or whatever you want to call it and they go back to the taker and they and I think that's go that goes on a lot with when you're talking to adults I mean you might be talking to a 35 year old or a 45 year old and you can you can see by the way that they talk they're still talking from that that level of emotional development and yeah that's so interesting to me Uh, I've got this theory that the whole of humanity as a species is at an adolescent stage of development a really awkward dark time in our adolescence like we're like basically locked in the bedroom and self-harming but I'm hoping that you know in a few in a few decades time we're going to see like a blossoming as this this uh, species becomes adult and starts learning to give and I think what you just said then about like the, uh, the maturing into giving I hadn't quite thought about it that way and it reminds me of when I've heard people in like spiritual circles talking about like a abundance mentality or filling yourself up so you're so full of love and positivity that you've just got it to give and it's so nice when like 
when I felt like I have been in that place to give from there like giving feels so much better than taking anything ever could yeah absolutely absolutely yeah but it's when that fear kicks in that they, they go back to the taker so what do you think holds people back from getting help and um, one I think is the stigma and two is they don't know what to expect all they see is what they see on tv and they see um I don't know you have to go in and sit on a couch and then you have to you have to be a particular person you have to come from a particular status or rank or or whatever they have these preconceived ideas of of what therapy is or what you can expect um and i think also it they they have a, an understanding that if you need therapy then you are broken and it's one of the first things that i i try and get across um, to my clients is that you are not broken your brain is doing exactly what it's supposed to do it's keeping you safe I mean I know safe means stuck but that's exactly what it's supposed to be doing so I try to change their understanding of 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 what is going on like you know this is not some alien invasion that's happening to them this is this is they're thinking somebody else's thoughts. I mean, that's a bit of a radical thing for them to get their head around because they're mostly like, no, I'm definitely thinking them. These are not somebody else's thoughts. But when they start to unpick it, then then they're, they're like, oh, okay, I get, I get what you're saying. Like, I didn't come up with this original thought. Somebody else called me a lazy sod when I was four or whatever it is. Um, and I've just regurgitated it and, and continue to... to reinforce it and it's now I speak to myself with somebody else's language so they have this before they come they, they've already got to try and get over all of these hurdles and no one can ever fix them you know they're completely broken people or they, they don't deserve the help they're not rich you know because when you watch all these American tv shows it's the rich that go for therapy it's it, they're either higher middle class or upper class and they're going into these amazing offices and clinics and you know you don't I can't remember ever seeing a, a soap or an American soap opera or whatever with with somebody I don't know from a council estate going in and getting therapy can you, you I can't Absolutely, ever remember. not that yeah. I watch much television but <laughs> I can't remember Absolutely. But the truth is that I think that more people from all backgrounds are looking to, to you know, have a space to talk. And it is so valuable because um, I think one thing that people go through as well is they feel like, oh, my friends and my family, they should be there for me. But actually the burden of, you know, um, sorry, I'm just going to start that again because that's not what I wanted to say. Um, I feel like people think that their friends and their family should be there for them. But actually you can't be yourself when you're talking to your friends and your family and that's another radical idea I think that you know because absolutely because people they don't feel you can't go to your family member and say I've been thinking about suicide and you know you can't you, you in bringing up traumatic memories I've you know I've got like amazing girlfriends and I like will sit and drink white wine and talk about all the nasty shit but even still like sometimes I feel like no I don't want to bring that to this gathering I want to do it with someone who's being paid to to shoulder this you know and help me deal with this and it's just completely different it's just a completely different type of conversation absolutely and also what you have going on when you take it to your friends and you take it to your family they automatically and it doesn't come from a bad place but they automatically believe they know what is right for you. They know what is good for you. Oh, I know, Anna. I know what's best for you. Come on, Anna, come and do this, come and do that. And that's, they're not looking at it from an objective point of view. One, because they're terrified of saying the wrong thing to you and then you following their advice and doing something radical. <laughs> they're like, ah, I'm all very wrong and it's all my fault. <laughs> so they're never going to give you an unbiased opinion. They're always going to be in your in what they think you want to hear or you need to hear. Sharing stories is good, though, and that's something I learned how to do better with friends and family after getting therapy, you know, like when you're... Because in that context, you know, you can share your stories of pain with each other and then it's like a reciprocal sharing in a yeah. meeting. Um, but, yeah, when you need to figure out how to that story needs to stop controlling your life 
then you need to do that work for you, dedicated time. And I would really like to see more people just realizing that therapy is like that, you know, tool up for your brain. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the more... I think the more if the more people understood how accessible it was here in the UK, you go on a waiting list, and sometimes you can be waiting six months, nine months, um, if you're referred by a doctor. So, for instance, I live in Sefton, so it's called Access Sefton, and people with with huge trauma that they've been carrying for years can be on that waiting list for months and months and months. And when you consider a private therapist that starts at say 60 pounds a session and some of them less than that then if you take out of the equation I'm not worth it and all of that negative thinking that you go on and you say okay I might not be worth it now but do I want to be different tomorrow or do I want to be different in six months do I want to be different in one year or do I want to stay where I am now where I'm not worth it? You can then start saying, okay, well, maybe the £60 for the session is worth the investment for next week and the week after and next month to start looking at who you want to be. Because it is very difficult for people when they look at themselves and all they've got in their head is I'm not worth it, nobody cares, nobody likes me anyway, um, I'm rubbish, what's the point? So if they can if they can look at it as an investment, then in the future, not in this person now, but a person in the future, then it can sometimes help them go, actually, that person might be worth it because that person's got a dream. So £60 a week for that person is the same way a person who doesn't have much self-worth will go out and I mean, I mean, even it even um rolls over to to um, people who have a lot of money, for instance. They can have no self-worth themselves, would never dream of buying themselves something amazing, but will go to the shop and buy a Rolex for their friend. Mm-hmm. But for them, they would never spend that amount of money on themselves. Does that make sense? So they separate who they are to who they want to be. Uh, the person with no self-worth that might spend the £60 on a session next week to begin building that future person is still going to the shop and buying a dress it's instant gratification that's what our culture has told us to do you know I remember walking down the high street and like just going into shops and to be like oh buy something because that will make me feel really good about how I look and then you buy the thing and then it's like a temporary fix and you feel elated and then you know you put the thing in the washing machine and it comes all bobbly and falls apart and then you're back to where you were of complete and utter self-loathing I in a way feel so grateful that my experience resulted in such a complete mental health breakdown um, like in psychosis and depression quite severely a few years ago to the point where I had to get help because there was no way out unless I did Uh, because up until that point I had no idea that I was unhappy I, I was desperately desperately unhappy for at least 10 years and I just did because I didn't know what it was like to like yourself and love yourself and to feel empowered so I didn't know that that's what I was missing out on but when when this breakdown came and I had to go and get help it was a real eye-opener like oh my word I have been living with all of this stuff inside my brain that I couldn't even see and it was dictating all of my choices you know all the you know so many scrapes and like uh chaotic stories and all these things that would be constantly happening I was doing that to myself because how I felt about myself what I would really like to see and to figure out how to communicate is people getting help before they get to that point more and realizing that there is a way of being that feels so much easier because liking yourself and loving yourself makes every day feel less heavy and um also that being stuck in that state is very expensive because you have to spend money on the items objects clothes whatever it is whatever your fix is 
not to mention drugs and alcohol that can also get very expensive and then things that you do to stay distracted that can get very 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 expensive and I think the, the the greatest cost of all is not living the life that you dream of or at least you know like working towards it because I think we've all got this like calling we've all got something like pulling us in a direction I really believe and feel strongly like you know thing, things that we fantasize about and things that we look at and think wow that's just the coolest thing and if you're not letting yourself go in that direction then it feels like torture absolutely and that's the genuine you that's that that's who you are but because you you're you're listening to somebody else's belief system and you're I mean you have no choice when you're a child you have to buy into that belief system because that's the environment you're born into. Even amazing environments have their own belief systems and you you take it all on, you reinforce it and you and then you have that identity and that's, that becomes you. But that's often, if not all the time, incongruent with who you actually are, the genuine self. So you will get pulled towards something and you will want whatever that is. So for instance, if you look at high achievers, you know, they, they, they're high achievers all the way through school and then they get to their adult life and then they get the best job and then they do all of these things and they're still unhappy. Why? Because being a high achiever is probably incongruent with who they actually are. You know, they can achieve everything. No one's disputing that they can achieve everything. But do they want to achieve everything or are they achieving everything because they've been pushed to achieve everything because they were told, well, that's who you are. Oh, look at our Sharon. She always gets everything right. Our Sharon never gets a test wrong. Mm. So when you start getting that when you're so young, I mean, how would you ever think, well, I'm allowed to get a test wrong? Well, you wouldn't because you think, what are people going to think of me if I get the test wrong? Everyone's going to laugh at me. Rejection, thrown out, saber-toothed tiger's going to eat me. So you will <laughs> do everything you can. <laughs> do you see what I'm saying? You that saber-toothed tiger's got a lot to answer for. <laughs> I know. But that, if everything that we do, the procrastination, the negative thinking, the overwhelm, everything goes back to the rejection, the fear. We will be cast out alone. But if we use our eyes and we look around at the world that we live in now, we live in, we live in like high-rise flats. Amazon delivers everything to our doors. We're already on our own. So we just need to say to our brain, like, I'm okay. I'm surviving. You know, we have, we have 30-year-old adults or 40-year-old adults living in their parents' homes because of the economy or whatever, and they're still autonomous. They're still living their own life. But because of the thought patterns that go on in their head, comes back to rejection again. If I do something wrong, if I don't obey the rules, I'm out in the cold and I'm going to get gobbled up. You know, because it just I, goes straight back to that primal fear. It's linked. It never goes away. I used to judge myself so much for being where I was at in life, but these days I just try and see it as being player one in a video game. And it's like, you know, if you're player one in a game and the game is happening right now, what use is it is judging yourself for things that happened previously in the game when it's happening right now and like we've got choices emanating out from us at any one time and like you know I could wake up tomorrow and be like I'm gonna move to Cuba well not right now but you know in theory if I really wanted to I could just completely change my life tomorrow and just decide to be different but in reality you know it takes reprogramming and I think like just learning how to decide like yes okay I see a bit of who I could be and who I really am and this person wants to live life like this so how can I reprogram my brain so that I'm able to do those kind of things more and more every day you know the little changes every day really do add up uh-huh absolutely and that goes back to the to the um investing in the future you try to separate separate the you now from the future you because the you now is still operating with all of those thoughts and um, that inner critic, that negative inner critic, that isn't even your voice. So being aware that that's not you, that they're not your phrases, they're not your words, they originated somewhere else, you just reinforce them. 
learning to be aware when it's happening, stopping yourself, literally like, who said that? Who said that? Where did that come from? How long ago can I remember hearing that for the first time? And then unpicking little things like that and trying very hard every single time you say something bad to yourself, you know, you, you drop something on the floor, for instance, and then the first thing you go, is a stupid cow. Well, look at what's in your arms. If you're carrying 20 things, the likelihood is you're going to drop one. Okay? So, one, don't beat yourself up because how are you supposed to carry 20 things? Well, two, ask yourself why you would think the right way to carry these things is to carry 20 of them and try and get it all done in one go because you were programmed to do that in the first place. You didn't just suddenly at some point go, oh, I'm just going to scoop all these things up because you have to look at people who are very methodical, okay? They'll carry two things. Then they'll come back and then carry two more. So if it was natural to just pick up everything with 20 things, right, then it would be natural for everybody to just pick them up two by two. We'd all just be doing one thing. So if you go all the way back, you might be able to remember Somebody saying to you, will you just get all your stuff? I'm in a hurry. Quick, we're going to be late. Get it. Do you see what I'm saying? I really do. I mean, our compulsive behaviours are imprinted in us. You know, we're all kind of like a blank slate. When we come here, things happen. We live in a really chaotic world with a lot of stuff going on all the time anyway. So that's kind of like always running in the background. And then you have all yeah. the little events in your life that your brain's recording, like a yeah. weird little black box. And then they then suddenly here you are and you're like, oh, I don't know. I just feel like there's something else in here yeah. that wants to be expressed. <laughs> yeah. yeah, absolutely. And your conditioning, for instance, if you go back to dropping everything, okay, rejection. Okay. If you if you don't grab everything and run out and and the 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 link is to we you just get all your stuff, we're going to be late. It's always you. It's always you that makes us late. Just grab your stuff. Stop being a slowpoke, so on and so forth, okay? You've now taken that into your adult life, okay? You grab everything. You keep dropping everything. You then start calling yourself the names that you were called previously. But no longer attached to that. It's attached to you. You then start doing all of this, okay? And then you can't move forward. You, you're that person, okay? So you continue to keep telling yourself off you keep you keep having a go at yourself and the reason is so that the dogs can come out and protect you stop you going any further okay so you you can't get in touch with your genuine self because your genuine self wouldn't have served the people in your environment to begin with and you had to survive in the environment to begin with does that make sense but by the time you get into your 30s and you're dropping stuff you don't even know that. You just think you're a clumsy cow. You forget, don't you? I mean, even now, like with a few different therapists' support and all the work I've done over the years, I still like blame myself for certain ways that I'm not performing in the way I would like to or uh, expressing as much as I'd like to. And then I forget that it's linked to these memories that I'm aware of. And I just have to keep reminding myself, that, oh, no, I'm still working on this. And because I've traveled some distance with it, I know what's to gain from keeping on with unpicking those memories. So I'm like, yeah. okay, well, if I've come this far in like two years, then what are the next two years going to bring? So, And then it becomes a journey of self-discovery. And that's what I would love for people to realize when they're you know, feeling really stuck and really horrid and thinking about getting therapy or maybe even not feeling like they can get therapy the things you get to do and the fun you get to have and the sense of being different in social situations is like it's like a breath of fresh air it really is like the ultimate revitalizer just being like oh wow I don't feel like a piece of shit in this party anymore I feel like I might actually be having fun yeah yeah absolutely because your head isn't full of all of those thoughts of like what's that person thinking about me if I just said that right did I look like a fool then? Am I okay? Am I dressed okay? Like all of that goes, all of it goes. But it can start by just being aware of, of what's, what's going on in your head. But people won't know that unless the message gets out there. So, you know, maybe maybe the government could get involved in that. Maybe they could do some, you know, blanket messaging to people and say, you know, 
these are just some hints and tips instead of leaving it down to individuals who could do something because putting people on waiting lists for three, six, nine months is obviously not helping the situation for people. Yeah, it's too long to wait. If you don't have the money to make an investment, that's when things can get really hard. I mean, when I was feeling at my most stuck, I was completely broke and I had to, uh, I was lucky because I was a freelancer, so I was able to arrange skill swap scenarios to get help from incredible professionals so that was a way out for me but otherwise it would have been really really tough you know but I would say that making the investment and saving for therapy is worth it because of you know it, it opens you up to many other possibilities in the future um, on my on my um, insta therapy page on facebook there's loads of hints and tips for people but I don't advertise because I hate tech. <laughs> and I know I said I'm, I'm dealing with it and, and I've been making my dogs heal for a long, long time, but that doesn't stop me hating tech. So I don't advertise and I don't put out Facebook ads or anything like that. So it's taken a long time for, for the word to get out that I have a, a Facebook page called Insta Therapy with, with hints and tips. And there's actually, there should be a link to my course, although I can't guarantee that either. Um, <laughs> um, because again, perfect example of having to having to face your demons and and tell your brain that you that you know back off, back off, keep the dogs in because I'm I'm so much more capable than than you are giving me credit for brain. Just leave me alone. I can do this because of COVID and the amount of um, people needing therapy I mean, obviously I've had to shift and start doing it online and I don't advertise so all of my clients are word of mouth and they don't want to be re-referred to somebody else they want to stay with me and I I threw a survey out to everybody and said what would you like tell me what you would like and I will create a course for you so I mean my tech demons are huge but I've now decided to create a course so I can put me in a course and I'll be there to help the people go through the course. So, I mean, you can do anything. If, when you understand how your brain works, when you understand that you are in charge of it, it is not in charge of you, and you are not broken, then you can accomplish anything. I mean, if I can, if I can create an online course, <laughs> the sky's the limit. Like, people can do anything. I really believe that. And we're just beginning to scratch the surface of what's possible when you see the brain as a neuroplastic device that you can fine tune and reorder. But so we're just beginning to discover what's possible, really. So your course, your course is called Reclaim Your Happy. Reclaim Your Happy. Yeah, because we're all born happy. You know, the saying bundle of joy didn't come from nowhere. We're all born happy and then we're programmed and we're conditioned. And that happy is is often gone. Or if it if it isn't gone, it only comes out every now and then. So yeah, the program is um reclaim your happy in five short weeks or less. So um in mental in mental health for to, to measure where you're at, um and you, you will probably know this, they do a measurement of suds, which is um, subjective units of distress and obviously they're subjective I would never be able to, to to measure where you're at so that's like from zero to ten so when a person joins the course they spend some time thinking well where am I when I really think about where I'm at where am I on that level so they might be at seven so the objective is to get them to reduce their suds by 50 percent or more in five weeks or less um, <clears throat> so that's their minimum target goal and then they'll have a um, target, which is the center. And then they'll have a kind of a reach for the stars goal, um, which is their stretch goal. So they could aim for their stretch goal to be zero. Um, their, their target could be, if they're at a seven, then it would be like three and a half. So that, that again, is very, very subjective. And then the, the course will take them through from where they're at now, which is their mission, to, to reduce their suds to mission accomplished. And it's they they gain points as they go through the course over the weeks and they, they get all kinds of um, rewards as they go, go through and they learn how their dopamine button works and um, how their brain works and how they can be in control of their brain and how everything is linked to their amygdala and their old memories and so on and so forth. And it's really fab. I mean, it's, 
it's hugging out of me trying to create it. <laughs> and I was often up until like three in the morning. I'm still on because my coach is in um, America. So a lot of the time, like three nights a week, I'm up until about three o'clock in the morning. It sounds like a really amazing self-directed course and you're aiming to get people 50% improvement in their general feeling of life, right, and how they're feeling about themselves and their mission. Um, And I think that when you can get clear on the areas of your life and what state they're at and then just like really start getting methodical with your life, then you can really start to make changes and fine-tune it and you know I'm always in like my notes like just analyzing these different bits of my life just keep it simple like you know what do I want to do for this area what do I want to do for that how can I make sure I stick to it and don't feel overwhelmed and when you have tools that help you look at life from this really creative and fun perspective then it opens up yeah and it is it is fun as well because I'm doing it on a on a, a gamified platform so it's really interactive because a lot of you go back to the question, why don't people seek um, counselling and therapy? I think one of their beliefs is that it's going to be incredibly painful for them. And if you look at Havening, for instance, they don't even have to tell me what it is that's going on. Like a person can bring their trauma into the room. They don't have to tell me. They just have to tell me where they are on that level of subs. And they could say, I'm at a 10. And then I will do the Havening and I'll check in with them. Where are you? And they say, I'm at a four. And then I'll do it again. Where are you? I'm at a zero. So, I mean, you, you couldn't get any less intrusive than that. They don't actually have to tell me what's happening. They don't tell me what the trauma is about. But then if they want havening and CBT, then that would open up more of the, the talking therapies. So all of the modalities are mixed together. So on this course, like I said, it, it's about putting me in the course with the people. So I'm there with them because I am inundated and I can't keep up and looking at this tiny screen working from home is is to make sure I'm in it with them so all of those modalities that I I use like aiming and hypnotherapy and autogenic training and all of those things will be in the course so I'll teach them how to do facilitated self-havening so they can use that when they're going to sleep each night or they can use hypno and there's loads of hints and tips I mean for instance your your brain operates on a sympathetic, well, your whole body actually, um, a sympathetic nervous system and a parasympathetic nervous system. So if you send a message of fear to your brain, your sympathetic nervous system will kick in and that's your fight or flight. And that's when it sends out the dogs, needs to keep you safe. So one of the symptoms for that is you will get an incredibly dry, mu- dry mouth. You won't need to go to the bathroom, okay? It, it diverts all of those non important um, functions to what's important that you would need to fight or run like hell from the saber-toothed tiger so you've got no saliva in your mouth whatsoever right now remember what i said about your brain can't see hasn't got a clue if this is a perceived danger or a real danger if you put chewing gum in your mouth and start chewing you produce saliva and your brain is like what the what is going on here? I thought we were in danger. Like, what's going on? What is going on? And your parasympathetic nervous system, which is the one that comes in and calms everything down, kicks in. Because your brain is now completely confused. It doesn't know whether it needs to run like hell or fight or just chill out. It takes the cues from the fact that your mouth is now filling up with saliva. So therefore no one's in danger anymore that sounds like an incredible anxiety hack and like just one of the (laughs) many interesting things people will be able to discover on your course it's been so amazing to chat to you about your work and what you know about the human brain and how it relates to the wider shifts we're seeing in the world and I'm really excited to check out your course I really am. And I, I, I love how popular well, courses are right now. It's like everyone's, everyone's like, you know, working on themselves in their spare time. Yeah, absolutely. And shift, shift definitely happens, doesn't it? Shift is happening <laughs> all the time. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. And talking of shift, just before we go, I said before, um, I used to be called talking heads. I still am called talking heads. Um, and I changed to Insta Therapy. And I, I got um, a little bit of stick, actually, by 
other uh, counsellors and therapists saying, well, you, you shouldn't call yourself insta-therapy. Nothing is instant. And the reason I called it insta-therapy is because, like I've just described with havening, the depotentiation of trauma with havening literally can happen within minutes. So that's why I changed the name um, for from Talking Heads, which is actually still there, to insta-therapy, which I thought was quite, quite a good name. <laughs> well, I like it. I think that when you are really struggling and you meet someone professionally who genuinely has space for you to be yourself and to unburden yourself with your problems, it, the effect can be instant. It really can. I remember the first time I met a counsellor who could meet me where I'm at and make me feel not judged and not scrutinised and not pulled apart in a Petri dish like some other experiences I've had, then it was a complete game changer and it opened up the path to where I am now. Yeah, absolutely. And it, I think it is about finding that right person, isn't it? And having that trust and that rapport. Yeah. Thank you so much for your time today, Sharon. It's been amazing to talk with you on these matters. And I will be including links to your website, Facebook page and your course. Thanks so much for tuning in, guys. It's really lovely to have you here with me for this Expanding Purpose podcast journey. Listen, times are hard right now. If you need someone to talk to, whether that's a therapist, family member, friend, a stranger on Zoom, please go and do it. There are ways to unburden ourselves and to relinquish this heaviness that we carry, especially in these times. A lot of people are going through it, but something I've found is that people want to be there for you. It makes people feel good when you ask them for help. It makes them feel like you trust them. So, you know, ignore the noise in your head that's telling you you're going to be an inconvenience to someone and be brave and ask for help because we resist it so much, but often it's just exactly what we need in the end. I hope you liked this podcast. It was incredible for me, really meaningful. Would love to hear your thoughts. Get back to me at expandingpurposepodcast at gmail.com. Please review and share this podcast. That would mean the absolute world to me. I will be back in the next week or two with two incredible podcast episodes featuring women I have connected with via the internet this year who I am extremely proud to call friends now. One of them is Amy Amora, an authenticity and story work coach. The other is an author, writer and fellow boat dweller called Elizabeth Earl. I'm so excited to show you guys these episodes. Thanks so much for your support and speak soon.